Thank you for listening to the Ace Jewelers podcast. This is an episode of The Ace List Live. This podcast has been recorded live during a live stream, which was broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. This is an audio-only version of that recording. Good afternoon. Hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. How are you? Good to see you, Mike. Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me, the Ace List Live. Where are you in the world today? Because you travel nonstop. Uh, well, I'm in Amsterdam in our headquarters, um, not so far away from your office uh, or your store now. Uh, I used to travel a lot, but uh, thanks to COVID, uh, my family uh, has a lot more quality time right now. Yeah, you do. And you just celebrate a special anniversary. So, mazal tov on that. Thank you very much. 20 years together, more than half of my life together with my wife. How Amazing. It's Lucky uh, you that she stays with you. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, indeed. Um, I see my, I get a notification that LinkedIn doesn't let us broadcast yet. So let me just remove that one. All right. So sorry for that. Um, usually I let the uh, guests introduce themselves, but since uh, you're my childhood buddy, um, this is a very special session for me. We're both in Amsterdam, not next to each other physically, but virtually. Um, we've been buddies uh, since uh, we were little kids. I've uh, been doing business now. You're almost 40. I'm 41, I guess, also almost for almost years, at least. Yeah. yeah. So it's been uh, fun. Um, it's been an honor. It's amazing to work with both your dad, your sister, and you. Um, and actually, we are related now as your second cousin decided to marry my brother. So we're family now as well. So this is a very, very special session uh, of the ACE list. Um, I want today to discuss, because we are honored to do two sessions with the Ashers. Your sister is up, I believe, on the 17th. Yeah. So would you, I would love to talk about the heritage and the history of Asher. Amsterdam is a diamond city. Yeah. Uh, um, so past, present, and what the future is. Uh, we got a lot of questions uh, that already came in from people that can't watch us live. Everybody who can't tune in can watch this episode later on YouTube, Facebook, and obviously on theacelist.com and listen to it as a podcast. That's why I'll read out the questions out loud uh, when they're shown in the screen. Um, we always start with a wrist check, but for you, I made it a jewelry check. So we're well, both men. Let's, let's do both um, because uh, 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 the jewelry check, uh, I think you have something unique to talk about later on, which is on your hand. Well, that, that's uh, definitely here. 12 and a half year marriage, 20 years together. Um, the the actual only piece of jewelry uh, on on the hand I wear every day. Um, the wrist check is uh, the other one, and uh, the, you have been part of that uh, uh, yourself. It is uh, IWC Jones. I got from my wife twelve and a half years ago when we married as a wedding present. Uh, very special for me and of course uh, also for you because uh, we were honored that you were the person who would be able to supply it so uh, now very happy with it uh, i hoped you would wear that one because especially for you i put on mine that i wore on my ah, one nice. so. well I, actually this morning i when i dropped off the kids i drove back home to put it on i love you that's why i love you see it's all in the details so exactly. So that's funny. That's the question I always get. We as jewelers and uh, diamantes, we hardly wear jewelry, right? Do you have any diamond that you wear, actually, you yourself? Well, how long are you married? I'm now. I'm gearing towards eleven years in November. Yeah. So that's the and uh, that's the reason why uh, I'm uh, slightly ahead of you because 
I started uh, our tradition that we add a diamond on the inside of our wedding ring. Um, and uh, and I add one per kit as well. So nice. um, uh, I have uh, 16 diamonds on the inside of my wedding awesome. ring. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So I, I I have, we married in 2009. So my two zeros are diamonds, brilliant cut diamonds. I love diamonds. I still want a pinky ring, but I still have to sell that at home. Um, but a fun story, my in-laws made me a wedding gift, which is an awesome shape. In white gold, Royal diamond, discreet diamond on the inside. So nice. whenever I suit up, I always wear cufflinks. But I always have my wedding band on, my watch, and I'm uh, actually testing a smart ring right now. So I'm just wearing it for a week. I usually wear one wing. So I want to you get smarter. Here. It's not making me any smarter, but um, I've been playing with the idea to make an Ace Fine Jewelry smart ring in precious metal, which this isn't. So that's why I'm wearing it right now. And I love tech like you do. So I want to see what's going on in the market. But I want to talk with you about that when we reach the subject of future. Okay. Because the only smart ring you have is on the other hand. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. The wedding yeah. band. Definitely. And the one that put it on is the smartest of us too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Thank you for that. Um, maybe you do a short intro, Mike. And then we'll yeah. slide into the seven ace list, the ace list questions. Is that okay? That's, that's Just a brief, so, brief intro. Brief introduction. Who doesn't, well, who, doesn't uh, who doesn't know me is I'm Mike Asher, and I'm uh, uh, recently, uh, since recent, together with my sister, co-president of the Royal Asher Diamond Company, one of the oldest diamond companies uh, in the Netherlands, six generations, founded in 1854 and have some amazing historical uh, stories to tell about, obviously, the world's most famous diamond cut, the Asher Cut Diamond, designed and patented in 1902 by my great-great-great-grandfather, who... Those were uh, great? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, well, uh, <laughs> I always lo lo lose track of time, but um, uh, it was 1902. It was Joseph Asher who had the opportunity to cut and polish the largest rough diamond ever found, the Cullinan diamond, 3,106 carats, until today still the largest rough diamond, uh, for King Edward VII in Great Britain. Um, and of course, we have, we will get to that part as well, but some amazing stories there. We've built up the family company up to the Second World War, where we had 500 diamond polishers working for us in our factory. Unfortunately, only 15 people survived um, the, the war and uh, including, fortunately enough, my family. My grandparents were liberated on Friday the 13th of April, 1945. Um, and my grandfather and his brother uh, decided to rebuild the company in Amsterdam because of our roots with the city. City of uh, Diamonds is always Amsterdam historically seen um so we've been building up the company since that time in uh, 1980 my grandfather retired my father and his younger brother asked him so what uh, uh what would you like to get as a retirement gift um and uh, eventually the best gift that we could have given him was um, an application for an authentic royal title um, and in 1980, Queen Juliana signed off her last royal uh, title to uh, one of the businesses in the Netherlands. That was us. Um, I joined in 1998 uh, into the business as, uh, right out of high school. Um, did brand management, uh, financial management, and recently started an MBA. Um, but did everything possible in our company. I started as a diamond polisher, went on buying trips, did rough sorting, polished, and uh, and eventually now very honored and happy to be able to run this company together with my sister. Um, and uh, it's a weird year this year because uh, mm -hmm. March 2nd, my father retired. 
uh, after 50 years working for the business. And uh, March 16, uh, we went in lockdown and closed the business for two and a half months. So yeah. it was uh, quite a ride so far. But uh, that's a very quick intro of uh, who I am and who you are talking to right now. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. So let's do um, the seven questions. The aim is to do a session of 45 minutes. I can't promise that we'll stay at 45 because we have a lot to discuss. Your your quick intro was a long intro and there's a lot of subjects to, to cover. So let me dive into the first question. What watch or jewel is your favorite and why? Um, I think uh, I have oh that's a difficult question i have multiple answers um watch i have two because they have emotional value to me uh the one i showed you already um the iwc jones limited wedding gift which i will always keep and uh, keep for the next generation as well and um a rolex pepsi cola um it was a present of my father in 2006 after a successful trip to japan uh it was the first watch he ever bought himself and uh, it was my first trip to the far east without my uncle who unfortunately passed away two weeks after i returned from that uh, that trip so so the emotional value there is uh, is quite big so those are the two favorites mm -hmm. for sure. Nice. Duels, um, I would say Elizabeth Taylor Group Diamond, yeah. 33 karat Asher Cut, D Flawless, recently sold on auction for $8.9 million. Not to us, luckily, uh, but <laughs> one of the most impressive original Asher Cuts uh, we got in the 1920s. Yeah. Um, and secondly, uh, um, I'll jump right into the future. The uh, new Royal Usher pear shape. Okay. All right. Interesting. That's a scoop, isn't it? You heard it first at the ace list. Okay. Awesome. So I'm you, you. You triggered me now. But let's flow to the second one. What did you want to be when you grew up? Maybe rhetorical. <laughs> it, it definitely well you know uh five years ago my dad walked into the office with an an, an old painting with old diamond tools and, and 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 it was horrendous to see it was an ugly painting but i he gave it to me as a present i said what do you want to he said look on the other side and in my childhood handwriting i wrote proudly got as a present from my dad 1988 i was eight years old so at that time i already knew i wanted to be in the diamond business cool yeah. did you ever had a doubt or or thought about something else i'm not talking about as a little boy as a fireman yeah a bit older uh fireman uh no 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 i've never had doubts this is uh oh, okay, cool. this, this this is my i'm, I'm working i'm living the dream now come on awesome six generations awesome. Awesome. Cool. Who's your role model? My dad. Yeah. Um, been working alongside with him for 21 years, um, which has been uh, a mentor, a business partner and a friend. Um, my uncle who has been my mentor and my business partner, well, my mentor and my friend in the Yo, first right? Joop, yeah, Uncle Joop. Late Joop, yeah. who passed yeah, away in 2006. Uh, I've met him also, and I've had the honor to work with your dad. And you're a nice guy, and it's hard to believe, but your dad is even nicer. <laughs> <laughs> it's something with the apple, you know? The apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool. Fourth question is, if you could teleport tomorrow, where would you go, Mike? Hmm. I think it's quite an interesting question because uh, we are not allowed to travel at the moment, but there are some places I actually have to go. So, yeah. uh, and that makes it difficult because uh, some cultures are not so used to Zoom calls and uh, and, and uh, let alone uh, uh, getting a call during the day uh, uh, from from us. 
So I would uh, do two things. I would uh, teleport to Japan because I would love to visit uh, the most important country for our business at the moment. Um, and the second is uh, I would go back to Mexico uh, where we got engaged uh, 13 years ago. Um, and I would experience that uh, that one more time. Nice. Just quickly to jump into uh, Japan, did you refer also to them that they don't like to Zoom so much? Are you talking about that culture or a different one? It's an interesting question. No, I think, you know, uh, we opened up uh, a store on the Ginza, uh, which is the main shopping street of Tokyo. Um, several years ago, I had a, uh, a, a fantastic general manager in uh, in our business, and I moved out of Amsterdam and uh, started to live somewhere else. And I had travel time in the morning to my office. So whenever I got to the car in the morning, I would call our general manager, now the CEO, and, uh, and ask him how's the business. And after three months, he said to me, Mike, I'm busy. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling me? Um, and, and, and it was uh, uh, probably because I talked to him too much, but uh, I, some meetings you just have to do face to face. It's so yeah. much better. Um, and, I agree. And, and especially if the market is so important for you, let alone, I think Japan is one of my most favorite countries in the world. Um, so, uh, so that is also one of the reasons I would like to go back. Yeah. I love Japan. I love the Japanese culture, cuisine. I was curious, why do, could you, um, come up with a reason why the Japanese love Royal Asher so much? Of course. Um, I think that work it's the most loved Dutch product in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. We are the number three or four most important diamond engagement ring brand from outside of Japan. Um, but what the most important part is, is that we've been working in Japan since 1965. Mm -hmm. Japan opened the borders for international trade. Mm -hmm. The brother of my grandfather decided to go to Japan mm -hmm. and explore the opportunities. Yeah, I came back with one customer uh, and that one customer uh, happened to be the most important retailer of Japan. The same family owned Seiko watches and started to build the distribution for the Royal Asher brand in Japan. Um, and if you work in a country for over 50 years now, even longer then uh, uh, you know, the, the, you are able to build such a brand awareness um, that uh, that is the main the main reason. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So teleporting back to question five. What book are you currently reading? And you said you started an MBA. So is it an MBA book? Honestly, I read more children books today than I read actual <laughs> books. Um, uh, every night uh, uh, there is uh, uh, one or two children books coming by. Yeah. Um, I uh, put aside I uh, put on a break my MBA since uh, uh, this year because of the transition of uh, generations in heading the company and then COVID hit so uh, uh, luckily for me uh, not too many uh, MBA stuff going on okay. um, but I have on my night desk uh, this subtle art of not giving a fuck um, and uh, and and I know it's a really good book, uh, and I uh, I'm actually really good at it. So um, I no, that's it Sunday, uh, so I published a review on it. Uh, so call me when you finish it. I would like to compare notes. Definitely good. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Sixth question: What do you think is going to be the color of 2021? Um, honestly, yeah. Doesn't matter as long as I can sell it. Um, I don't know. I'm not so much into uh, 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 the color trends uh, in terms of retail um, because our main focus is on uh, uh, on diamonds and diamond engagement rings. We see a trend where yellow gold became much more popular, but that is not the direction you are asking uh, the color for. 
Um, you can answer the way you want. Do you guys you know, do if, fancy colored diamonds? Sorry? Do you guys do fancy colored diamonds? Yes, we do. We, I, it's one of my biggest passions is, uh, is fancy colored diamonds. Uh, as you know, um, uh, the only problem when you have a passion with this kind of product is the chance that you pay too much is relatively high um because you're eagerly wanted i recently bought a very very cool stone it's a green yellow diamond from brazil and and and, and when it came in my team said hey look we have a disco diamond um, <laughs> I, I call and i call it a glow in the dark stone it, oh, it is i would love to see that it is so bright it is amazing um wow. so yeah i love fancy colored diamonds if we look at the trend in diamonds, uh, let's separate from, uh, from, from colorless, of course, where we can talk about uh, forever. Um, the most interesting part is uh, by January 2021, the Argyle mine in uh, Australia will close. Yeah. It is the mine which produces the most pink diamonds in the world. And if you can imagine that there's, let's say, 120, 30 million carats of white diamonds mined, there are 30 carats of pinks coming out of the ground. Uh, but that mine is 42 kilometers and is empty, or actually mm -hmm. it's commercially not viable anymore to get more out of it's the ground. Yeah. So I think the color for 2021 is definitely in diamonds, pink. You got it. Okay, awesome, yeah. Cool. Uh, do you do gemstones, natural colored gemstones? We discontinued. Yeah, uh, we used to do some sapphires, yeah. but, uh, but I've discontinued the collection because uh, eventually, you know, trying to sell a Royal Usher sapphire is much more difficult for a retailer than a diamond eventually. So because yeah. the name Usher and diamonds are, are, are the same. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Last question, actually irrelevant for you, but the last part, what is your favorite spot, memory, location? What do visitors, Amsterdam, have to visit besides the Asher Museum on the Tolstrat? Well, actually, that's not allowed for uh, the public to, uh, to visit. Um, so uh, uh, what the people have to do when they visit is visit the Royal Asher Retail Partners any of them um, to start with uh, because they tell our story best um, but core to our city the Anna Frank house the National Art Gallery and my most favorite part of the city is on the water uh, the city of Amsterdam the design the architecture the most beautiful part of our city you see from the water you don't see from walking. Give me one spot that's not on the usual suspects list. Where do they need to go? Good question. Should, uh, I, give you, should I help you uh, out? No, I would say very close to my office building there's uh, the pestana hotel um i would say have a drink in the garden of their uh, uh beautiful restaurant with the view of the royal usher factory behind you and on the other side the amstel river exactly which amsterdam is the dam built on that river good one so what else you want? good awesome yeah. thank you all right so those were the questions Thank you for that. We are uh, already 25 minutes in. Um, let me see. We have questions coming in. So let's pick up where we stayed with history. Um, you've done an extensive story, I think. What put you guys on the world map? is uh, the polishing of the uh, British Royal Crown Jewels, which are yeah. on display in Tower Bridge, if I'm not mistaken? Absolutely. The Tower yeah. of London. Tower of London. Tower yeah. of London. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the Cullinan Diamond 
is by far the most famous diamond in the world. Yeah. Um, it was 3,000 carats, a little bit over. It was found in South Africa. And it was a present from the South African government to King Edward VII of Great Britain um, as a peace offering for the Boerenoorlog at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this diamond has a spectacular journey. It, it came from, uh, South Africa. It went to the UK. Um, and one story is it went by, uh, by registered mail insured for, I think a hundred thousand euros golden at the time. Yeah, which is 45 euro now today the other uh story is that there was a boat from scotland yard who took it to uh london but that is not the most intriguing part of the story of course so the stone was found not during regular mining a uh, a security guard did his last round in the in the mine and on his way up in the shaft he saw something in the wall and he started digging it out and he kept the stone in his pocket for a few days because he didn't believe it was a diamond then he gave it to the owner of the mine mr cullinan um and uh, and eventually it arrived safely in london in this was all uh, the stone was found in 1905 and the process to get it to london it was 1906 my great great grandfather joseph escher 1903 had the opportunity to cut and uh polish a very large diamond which was found by the beers and the 997 carat excelsior diamond um and i think he did quite a remarkable job because that was actually the reason that king edward the seventh invited Joseph Asher to see if he was interested in cut and polish this diamond. Mm -hmm. So uh, Joseph went to London um, and uh, uh, he was studying the stone and the king uh, uh, asked him, would you be able to cut and polish this diamond? And he said, yes, of course, but how are we going to get this specific stone in Amsterdam? And uh, he said, well, there's a publication going out, Scotland Yard will take a big cruiser and take it, uh, take it to Amsterdam. You will be able to receive it next week. He said, well, uh, your Royal Highness, I think that's a very good idea. Can you give me the diamond? So uh, he gave the diamond to um, Joseph Escher. He put it in his pocket and took the normal ferry yeah. with, with the largest rough diamond in one pocket and a gun in the other. And then oh, he was obviously quite nervous and he forgot to bring any money for something to drink on the way. And he found uh, an acquaintance and who said, Mr. Asher, I hear the Cullinan is on its way to Amsterdam. When is it arriving? The only thing he could say was soon, I hope. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the soon, I hope is something that which we, that we use quite often here. Yeah. And, and, you know, this stone has so many fabulous stories. So I'll, I'll share one more. The um, the cutting and cleaving. And at that time, uh, the, when you were looking at the diamond, there was no technology. So what they did is they had to cleave a diamond, which means you have to break it in two pieces or more. This stone was heavily included, which means that there were all small uh, inclusions or imperfections in the stone. Um, eventually, my great-great-grandfather cut nine large, clean diamonds. The largest one is 530 carats, which is a pear shape in the scepter. And the second one is a cushion of 317 carats. But they were all of the highest color. Uh, but he will, was able to cut it in such a way that all these stones became perfectly clean. But the moment he wanted to first break that stone into two pieces was February 1908. He put the blade on the stone and he hit it. There's a very famous picture. He hit it and the stone did not break, but the blade broke. It broke yeah. So we still have the broken blade in our, in our museum, which is uh, amazing. He, he, he eventually created larger and heavier tools. And then two weeks later, 
uh, he successfully cleaved the Cullinan first in two pieces and then later on in multiple pieces. He cut nine large stones and 43 smaller ones. Um, and the famous story is he fainted because of the tension after he successfully cleaved it. And I think it was 1998, 1999, my grandfather came into the office and I told him, I said, uh, I, I now I really want to know this story. What's the truth? And he looked at me, he said, Mike, of course he didn't faint from the tension. When he successfully cleaved the stone, he drank so much champagne, then he fainted. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that, that well, listen, there is, there is a lot to faint for those that don't know. And a lot of people are, are not aware of the fact that we always speak about hardness of diamonds, right? The surface is a hardness nine on a scale of 10 of most, but it's built molecularly in squares. And yeah. to break them, you need to have, back in the day, cleave them. But you don't know what you encounter, what you refer to the inclusions and the imperfections. They can make the break different. It can yeah. split wrongly. And obviously, there is a lot to faint about because if it goes wrong, what would the king do to you? <laughs> Hang you. <laughs> uh, I, I would have, uh, we would not have this discussion today, that's for sure. So, yeah. so it, it was literally a make or break because when people wear diamonds, we always warn them that. Uh, you need to keep in mind they can break. You can't scratch them hardly, yeah. but you can break them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's an amazing story because I assume there weren't many master diamond cutters out there that would even dare to do it. Yeah, it took him close to a year. Yeah, it, well, it took him close to a year to study the stone itself, yeah. um, and and that's also the beauty. I think that what you just said is that people don't realize how much craftsmanship goes into our business from rough to polished to jewelry and the whole process from analyzing a rough diamond you know you have the color you have the clarity the standard two of the four c's then the two most important ones um which you are able to determine yourself color and clarity uh, it's difficult is the carat weight what is the yield I'm going to get out of this rough diamond? And most important is the cut. Yeah. Uh, and and people uh, often don't recognize that because you can have, a you can have different cuts. Uh, we have uh, four patent diamond cuts, um, but you can also have a good or a poor cut, and and or very good or excellent and a poor cut. And if you have a diamond of one carat, which has been polished badly so the cut of the stone is not good the finishing, the finishing touch the of finishing it. touch of it. if if it's exactly the same size color clarity but the cut is either very good cut by royal usher or very poor cut by anybody else in the world the price difference is huge um it's like uh, uh buying a, a car without an engine you know that's uh, let's, let's, let's let's focus on that one second mike if if i may yeah so the royal asher cut is a patented design which has been upgraded almost 20 years ago right Correct. you guys have asher cut you redesigned it made it better improved it like the uh, porsche 911 it evolves and becomes better but the dna is the same and the style code is the same yeah perfect so how did you guys go about patenting the royal asher cut today today and then you have four more and the fifth is coming the pair actually we have three more so we That's have four today yeah so first the royal asher cut a redesign of the old patent and how you have just explained it doesn't get any better although i would have used a different brand name um you try you have an icon and uh and if we take a few steps back into history the asher cut our first patent diamond cut in the world from 1902 we lost that patent uh, after the second world war mm -hmm. uh, at that time a patent was valid for about 50 years mm -hmm. after the war there was no demand for fancy shapes and we did not continue the shape fancy we call everything that's used not round brilliant cut right yeah, well, what happened is a, a square step cut diamond today, we always say Mr. Kleenex didn't know his name became a tissue. 
Yeah. Uh, or uh, we in Amsterdam, we have a specific uh, sparkling water. Uh, everybody calls the same name. Uh, but um, if you look into the diamond market, a square step cut stone is generically called an Asher cut. Yeah. It's focused on the original shape many years ago. It doesn't represent the original shape anymore because that was high crown, steep pavilion, dramatically cut corners, and a square step cut today normally and is more of a... emerald cut, right? Emerald cuts. Yeah, emerald cuts, emerald cuts, square emeralds, small corners, steep pavilion. But the Royal Asher cut was a redesign of that old pattern. And and we've We've looked at the stone and we looked at the pattern and we see what do we keep and what do we lose. Um, and, uh, and the only problem for us is that we like the most beautiful diamonds. We have been cutting dim diamonds for beauty instead of yield uh, for over a century now. Um, and that is that if we look at the Royal Asher cut, it has been developed in four or five different phases where eventually all our friends family colleagues competitors and clients decided we had five different models everybody picked the same stone mm -hmm. that was the royal asher cut um, and i would say beauty in a diamond is one thing and the most important thing it's light fire in yeah. french it's eclat it needs to sparkle right uh, everybody focus on carrot yield what you say they focus on color cut is the most I, cut is the most important part light beauty 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 we see everything. Uh, so we've really, my father was in the United States in the late 90s and the, the square emerald became super popular and he was walking around with the sign Edward Asher. People came up to him and said, are you Mr. Asher of the Asher cut? And he said, yes. And they said, can we buy some? And he said, no. He came home and he said to his younger brother, he said, Job, we have to change this. But we are not in the business in selling generic diamonds. We are in the business of adding value, adding beauty to our products that we sell. So we started to redesign the old, the old patent, and that was the original Royal Asher Cup. It was one of the most successful, it is one of the most successful fancy cuts in the world. Um, and uh, about six, seven years ago, uh, my father and I started to redevelop different cuts. So uh, we now have the Royal Asher Brilliant, which is a round diamond with 74 facets. Again, I'll get to the 74 facets uh, in a bit. A Royal Asher Oval and a Royal Asher Cushion. All of our fancy patented diamond cuts so far have been cut with 74 facets yeah. because they were inspired by the culinary number one, which mm -hmm. is uh, the 530 carat pear shape. Yeah. who at that time was cut with 74 facets, which was unique for the time because 1908, everything was done by hand. There was no mechanics, there was no measurement. Um, and he wanted to improve the beauty of the stone. So here is my scoop for you. Um, recently, I have been developing uh, the Royal Asher Pear Shape. Um, this time, not uh, uh, together with my father, but uh, more together with my sister. Um, my dad, after his retirement, did come into the office to have a look at the stone. I just wanted to see, you know, and he said, wow, this is really cool. Um, pear shape, we, we call in the industries. Uh, it's, a, it's like a drop, you know. Raindrop yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like a it's raindrop also. or or really the pear as a fruit. That, that's the shape of the, of yeah. the stone. Yeah. Um, oh, the only difference is that uh, it was impossible to cut it um, with 74 facets um, because if we, I have, I took the culinary number one as an inspiration and then the top is almost exactly the same as the culinary number one, only the bottom, if you, if you ever see in the Tower of London, the culinary number one, you can look straight through the stone because the last oh. facet is very shallow. Uh, yeah. And of course, in the modern times, people want to have beauty and light reflection uh, uh, even more because we have improved technology. Uh, so that's where I changed it. But uh, it's uh, it's coming to the market, I think, first quarter 2021. Awesome. So guys, you can pre-register at ACE, put in your orders. We can design amazing things. Um, what Mike was just saying about the shallowness and the depthness, what's important, what I explain to people that are new to the diamonds and when they're buying diamonds, 
think of it as a reflector or a satellite dish, right? It needs to come in, bounce around, and shoot out of direction. And that's what Mike means with the depth of shallowness. If it's not correct, the light goes straight through. And you guys created a patented optimum yeah. design for light. Yeah, Catch exactly. And rebounding the light. And, and yeah, I, was, I always explain that this is a nice uh, comparison. I say it's a very simple diamonds, the facets, the the, the 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 sides of the diamonds that we polish, the facets are polished in such a way they become mirrors. Exactly. And, and it's a piece of glass. If you polish it below a specific angle, you can mm -hmm. look straight through the glass. If yeah. you polish it uh, above a specific angle, it becomes dark. Uh, mm -hmm. And what you want is that it it becomes a it mirror, mirror for the light. The yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the, that's the most important part. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And they will be available loose, and obviously you'll design them into jewels as well, right? And that's something we'll you discuss know, as well. Yeah, my my our biggest market is the diamond engagement ring market. Um, my sister, who you will speak soon, um, is heading on not only our creative direction part, but also our marketing uh, department. And and the most important part for the sales for us is diamond engagement ring. So um, the pear shape uh, today, you see that the oval is very hot in the market. Yeah. Uh, um, it is a very nice stone. It's classical. It's different than round, but it's still elongated and and chic. Um, and the pear shape uh, uh, is my new color for 2021. Nice. Just getting back to colors, what um, people don't know, you guys are very contemporary and innovative jewelries, which I love, are the stars of Africa or stars today. Yeah. You guys were one of the first to incorporate ceramics in combination with diamonds and the stars collection is awesome because it's a dome and you uh, let me in on the scoop back in the day yeah the fluids you did a lot of r d on that i remember and you're basically a snow dome with diamonds yeah exactly you, say, you, you know the most important part is if you see the joy that children have with the snow dome yeah. you need to build that for adults yeah, so I love it's those a, jewelry. So that's a new generation of the designs were first pure gold. Then you guys added gold with the diamonds and ceramics. Did you guys think of using other colors besides black and white that are now in the current collections? Talking about colors, because very contemporary and innovative. Yeah. Item. Um, or I should ask Lita that. Should I save you? Spare you the question. Well, you know, uh, I think there's a reason why she had decided not to add multiple colors. But yeah. uh, uh, my answer would have been, uh, uh, please ask her. I will. I was a good one because I love that collection. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, we're uh, almost at our 45 minutes uh, level. I have several questions for you. Go um, ahead. I, I have uh, at least 20 more minutes. Uh, before. 20 more minutes. So you're good on this time. Is the, you know, Thursday is the most important day in the week because I pick up my kids from school. Awesome. And that's important. I would never want you to be late. You're a good dad. I'm proud of you. Um, whenever you are on business trips, I always see you posting that you miss them. So good for you and your kids. Um, so maybe I'll freeze my question because I don't want our viewers to miss out on the yeah, opportunity to ask you questions. Before I forget, I want to discuss lab-grown with you. I want to discuss technology and smart devices. But let's just see what our viewers are asking you. Um, <laughs> Wouter calls us two legends. Thank you, Wouter. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Diamond T. I assume that he's asking A, what you think about it, and B, did you ever make them? That's my translation of that post on uh, Facebook. You know, um, we have sold diamonds to places that we don't want to know uh, <laughs> on, on, on people's body. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just very happy I don't have to make the item of jewelry. Okay. All right. Politically correct answer. Thank you. David Harkema is asking, hi, Mike, what's your opinion on diamonds on men's watches on YouTube? Good question, David. Thank you. 
Yeah, very good question. Diamonds on watches or men's watches. Well, you know, I'm uh, quite conservative. So for me, it would not work. But I have so many different um, cultures where diamonds are just uh, as uh, as good for men as for women. Uh, your stars collection, you actually just explained, is selling very well to Japanese men. Um, so for the me, ring, I, which piece is the, the ceramic ring, pink ring. Cool. And for me, a diamond on the watch is, it can be just as beautiful. It's just that I wouldn't wear it because it doesn't suit me. Yeah. Um, but I know uh, a few people who do. Thank you. So Actually, what... interesting to get back to that. Back in the day, uh, let's say 1960s, 70s, we sold all the diamonds that uh, were used for the Rolex watches. Okay. 70s, 80s, maybe. But uh, uh, my uh, my grandfather and father decided to stop because um, if you if you sell the specific millimeter size to to Rolex, uh, they always try to find uh, something to return, and then the more they started to return more and more and more and more and more, and use less and less and less and less, and then they started buying themselves. So we said, "Well, oh, that's enough," because it became too much of a headache. Yeah. But, uh, and, it's, yeah. and, and, and it's generic what you're saying because you're a commodity yeah. trader and you guys want to add value. So yeah. I think it's a wise decision that was taken back in the day. Yeah. So um, let's see. One of the questions that came in um, of a consumer that couldn't be on the show live. And he asked, how do you look at a rough diamond and decide what to do with it? Do you make a design first or cut it to a standard shape slash size and decide from then onwards? So you, you, you yeah, it's you, a very good question. How, how you look at rough diamonds. Um, you know, I think from our generation, um, I am the last person in our industry who has been taught to look at a rough diamond mm -hmm. with 10 times magnification uh, look and polish a window on the stone look inside where are the imperfections and draw a line with ink on the stone to see where you can saw it the best and create the highest yield and determine what kind of this shape you have to cut out of that rough stone. Because a rough diamond, the, the rough diamonds that we as Royal Usher use often have an octahedral shape, which means like two pyramids on top of each other, uh, uh, perfectly square, uh, because of the specific type of polished diamonds we cut. But you also have rectangular shapes or odd shaped or flat shapes where you then decide to polish different stones from. Um, but today, if you look at the market, it's technology run. So uh, a rough diamond. Elaborate, elaborate, Mike. So, so back in the day, from your great, great, great grandfather, everything was done yeah. by eye. You're trained in the old I'm trained school. Trained by eye. Yeah. Eye. Old school. You obviously use modern technology as well as backup. Of course. No, <laughs> actually, today, today, I don't need to plan the stone by myself anymore. Today. What is the X-ray machine? Uh, yeah, well, you take a rough stone, you put it in a computer, and uh, once you uh, you they make a 3D model with uh, cameras, so you can allocate the imperfections in the stone in on the computer, and he will run a calculation on what is the biggest yield, um, and then eventually the computer will tell you if you polish uh, a royal Asher cut, you get a yield of uh, forty-five percent. If you polish a round stone, it will be forty-eight uh, percent, or and and so on. But then comes the determination of okay, where's my market? What do I want? And which pricing do I have to take care of uh, to actually sell the product? Um, and I prefer to cut a fancy cut instead of a generic round, uh, which means that if the yield, uh, the the polished end result of a round is bigger than my fancy cut. My fancy cut will be slightly more expensive. Yeah, but that's that's what we uh, what Quality we accept. Financial price. So yeah, yeah. And um, run us through 
A, what you do, buying from Ruff, and maybe also the supply chain, because what I, one of my questions that I wanted, or subjects I want to talk to you about is the uh, responsibly jewelry crown so and the Kimberly process, which your yeah. dad was actually very uh, elementary in that process, right? So that's something I also want to discuss about. A website I highly recommend is called diamondfacts.org. Um, I, I, I recommend any consumer that consults me to look at that website. Um, yeah. So maybe please tell us a bit about the process from a mine, your buying process, up to a finished jewel in our boutique. Would you mind? Mine to market um, and, and specifically traceability today becomes more and more important. Um, so what we do is uh, we have uh, three, four different parts in the world where we manufacture. Yeah. uh amsterdam antwerp russia and india um and we buy rough diamonds as an assortment from either the beers or the arosa which is a russian a lot of people don't think that the beers is a monopoly that's not the case well, actually there are four major diamond mining companies in the world um mm -hmm. and we work with three of them um uh and and for many different reasons but you have to understand that any diamond so rough diamonds i try to incorporate the kimberley certificate into the story the rough diamonds is the second best self-regulated uh material in the world uranium is the first diamonds are the second uh, people speak about blood diamonds or conflict diamonds 99.9999% of our diamond trade is free of conflict diamonds. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to fraud in any circum certain uh, industry, it's possible. That's why you can never in any certain industry guarantee 100% full disclosure. But we are super, super close. In 1998 to 2000, it was about 4% of the diamond production in specifically Sierra Leone, which mm -hmm. was used uh, for financing of uh, civil wars. Mm -hmm. As an industry, when that uh, war was over, as an industry, we immediately recognized this and said, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that none of the diamonds in the value chain um, are infected by the, uh, the, the conflict area? So we set up the Kimberley certificate, which is a certificate given by the mining company and an independent audit body and the country of origin specifically for rough diamonds only uh, so that you can guarantee that this diamond has not been used to finance any conflict areas mm -hmm. uh, that system of uh, certification is set up in 2001 and the whole political body around that is called the World Diamond Council, which, uh, which, uh, which my dad recently became president. The second uh, time? The, second time, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like the most important political body that governs everything that is part of the Kimberley certificate. Mm -hmm. And the, we have NGOs, we have countries, we have uh, the mining companies and retail inside. So uh that is a combination and a power powerful uh, uh political system which governs that any diamond we sell is conflict free yeah um then uh, you buy a rough stone it goes to uh our factory we analyze the product it goes to uh, a sewing um, laser machine all diamonds are sought by laser uh mm -hmm. today um and then you have more often two pieces of rough diamonds, one large one and one smaller one. And you polish, start the polishing uh, process. First, you polish uh, a few facets to make the model, and then it goes to the second phase to make it perfect. Once yeah. that is done, every single diamond has been, uh, has needs to be shipped to an independent laboratory. So you will get a certificate, which states the color, the clarity, the carried away to cut all the technical details of the stone. Today, which I find very interesting, is the traceability part is that the GIA, Gemological Institute of America, 
recently introduced an option for the mining company to supply the rough to the laboratory yeah. give it an, a unique serial number like a blockchain then it puts it back to the polishing wheel mm -hmm. it returns the same parcel and then the certificate can indicate and i say specifically say can uh the trace of origin so this yeah. diamond has an origin of botswana or south africa yeah, or so that improves. however that improves, that improves traceability transparency ethical. yeah it's ethical can you also touch upon the fact of sustainability a bit later in your story uh yes well eventually not not a bit later because the sustainability part starts at the at the beginning uh the bears announced late last year i think or early this year that by 2025 they were, are focusing to be the first mining company in the world to be carbon neutral um which is amazing uh because yes we uh, uh we have to dig into uh, there are three different major ways of mining alluvial mm -hmm. mining on the water beddings mm -hmm. Open pit mining, you scrape off the ground, or closed pit, you dig a hole into the ground. Um, mm -hmm. Those are the myths. And oh, then no. you have, yeah. and then you have marine, but that's a difficult story uh, because it's uh, it's not very often used. Yeah. So 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 that is the first step of uh, of sustainability. Um, and and I think if we look at um, diamonds, if we look at gold gold there is in the netherlands i know there is uh, 0.0 i don't know you know it better uh, percentage of new gold it's mostly recycled 99.99 percent um, is recycled yeah. Yumicor is the goldest producer in europe and uh and it's also certified in a close uh, loop yeah yeah and then and then and then if you look at the whole value chain we are now part of the responsible jewelry council yeah, which is the well. The industry only industry body at the moment, which makes sure that you have an outside auditor coming into your business to look at your processes, where you buy, from who you buy, uh, is you, uh, there any indication of uh, um, uh, 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 conflict within the whole value chain? um which is a guarantee for ethical and sustainable uh, uh responsibility um so i think that's a very important part in our business yeah and and then of course the product when it's finished uh, it goes to the designers uh and then to the goldsmith from the goldsmith yeah, it goes gems. into jewelry and then uh we uh, put it into the retail yeah so that's the whole whole customer journey for that specific diamond. Amazing. So um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, the young Diamantes, which we're both part of. Can you just briefly uh, share with our viewers what this is and why you and I are members? Of course, young Diamantes, one of the, I think, very important platforms that we have in the diamond industry today um, for the younger generation diamond tears, um, we are able to share experience, discuss topics which you would not easily discuss with others, um, mm -hmm. but also uh, point out uh, the differences that we see. Um, and what I feel very strongly about is you can see on the project side of the diamond tears is uh, our charity initiative. We have a GoFundMe page too there where we uh, raise capital for the building of a kitchen and a library dedicated to a school in Limpopo, South Africa, where mm -hmm. last year 25 of our young Diamantes visited and, and there are children in that school that live on one meal a day. Um, so we, 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 we set up a charity initiative and we say everybody who's able to give uh anything 10 15 50 or even more uh towards this initiative we can help those children get more than one meal a day and actually get intellectual developed um to become part of, of our society and much better educated so uh, and those two things are very important for us 
they're, they're very important and, and, and it's about making this planet better, this world better, and obviously for the people better and, and, and innovate this industry and to bring it up to par with the demand, I think, with the new consumers. So uh, yeah. I think um, it's awesome. And I invite everybody to check the website as well. Um, Mike, I see, um, I, I think we can go on for many more hours, but I don't want your kids to wait. Um, tomorrow I'm doing a session with uh, Italian jewelry designers. So everybody tune in tomorrow at noon, European uh, Central Time. Mike, I want to thank you so much. It's been amazing. Time flew by. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, now let me say uh, thank you to you because uh, uh, thanks for inviting us. I think uh, we have a friend re friendship relationship. We have a business relationship, but it's nice to see retail enjoying the creativity of the time they have within uh, COVID uh, to, to do something different and really reach out to your own uh, following base with a different insight from all those different angles, uh, watches, jewelry, uh, uh, diamonds, and, and I think it's, uh, it's great. So thanks a lot. Uh, Thank you. I wish you good luck and a lot of fun with my sister. I will promise you. September. I will. I will promise you one thing. If you do the conversation with my sister, you will see the most beautiful office that we have in Amsterdam, where yeah. she can give you a tour of his of history. Yeah. All right. It is. It is. Thanks a lot, Alon. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye, buddy. Thank you for listening to Ace Jewelers Podcast. This was the end of the Aceless Live audio-only recording. To listen to more episodes or to view them, go to acelist.com. Thank you. <laughs>